Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Uh, This past week was Valentine's Day, and uh, love was in the air, wasn't it? You could feel it. And, um, uh, but the question then got kind of stuck in my mind. Uh, What would you do for someone you love? What would you do for someone you love? Immediately, I couldn't help but think about that guy, Dick Hoyt, the famous Ironman triathlete who recently died last year. I don't know if you remember Dick. Uh, Dick was the guy who completed uh, all of the Ironmans along with his son who had cerebral palsy. He swam with his son, he rode the bike with his son, and then he ran with his son. And he got involved in Ironman triathletes like in his 30s because he went on a jog and at the age, his son at the age of five, suffering from cerebral palsy, said, Dad, when you run with me, I don't feel handicapped. I used to watch the Ironman Hawaii with a lot of resentment and anger. And then I saw that story, and I remember it melted like, I mean, the most resentful of couch potatoes hearts, uh, eating ice cream there, uh, watching the Hoyts make their way through. Um, But what would you do for someone you love? One of my favorite love stories is of uh, the Mughal emperor, Shahan Jahan. I know it's yours too, and um, and trust me, it is yours. But uh, they... uh, Their marriage was arranged and they met and they fell madly, immediately in love. Fireworks went. It was like something straight out of Aladdin, you know? And um, after their 14th child, she died giving birth. She wanted a girl. But anyway, um, uh, that was supposed to be screamingly funny. But anyway, uh, after the 14th child, she died. And he went into deep, deep mourning and he made the entire Mughal Empire go into mourning for two years. He wasn't even seen for a year. And when he came out of grief, when he emerged, he ordered the construction of a tomb worthy of her beauty and their love, which became the Taj Mahal. What would you do for someone you loved? Our gospel reading doesn't invite that question at all. Today, Jesus continues his teaching from Luke, entitled The Sermon on the Plain, and he lays out this provocative and counterintuitive ethic. I say to you, listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, praise those who abuse you, Etc., etc., etc. Say what, Jesus? Does Jesus really understand what he's asking us to do? And the fact is, the fact that that just kind of runs over your back, like, you know, we've kind of, oh yeah, I love my enemies, is because you've been living in 2,000 years of Christendom. I mean, this is counterintuitive. Give to those who ask. Don't demand from people when they take. Such words, when they really begin to hit our heart, are hard for us to hear. Because we hear these things, and we can find ourselves actually broken by them. We can hear these things, and we find ourselves hurt by them, and in despair, actually, of our inability to really do them. 
I was at a dinner party one time and the host asked me, he was like, Jake, what would you say is the most practical teaching of Jesus? To which I responded, there are none. (laughs) There are none. And if you think they're practical, you've misunderstood them. Because Jesus is always taking our ideas of goodness and obligation, our ideas of what we think will clean us up before God by our own doing, and he makes them impossible. He rises the bar to impossibility. And this is my first point. Jesus is taking our ideas and our definition of love. He's taking the second tablet of the law. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. He's taking all of those ideas. Love your neighbor as yourself. And he's elevating love. He's elevating the law to an impossible pitch. Yet this is precisely how the law, this is precisely how real love, not Valentinish sentimentality, but this is how real love works. Real love doesn't cancel. Real love hurts. Real love, you know this if you have a child, real love will actually cost you absolutely everything including your life. Because real love is designed on one level to bring you to your knees. Real love on one level is to cause you to despair of your ability to do it. Let me tell you something. It's really easy to love my friends. But my enemies? And I'm not talking about some sort of abstract Taliban warrior over there. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the boss who shamed you in a meeting. Love them perfectly. I'm talking about your ex who broke your heart and has taken half your salary. I'm talking about the person who stole your wallet. My wallet was stolen a couple of months ago and I swear I wanted to kill the person. I'm talking about the person who tarnished your reputation over a rumor. I'm talking about the person who really hurt you as a child, and this has affected you today. Love and bless them, Jesus says. How is that possible? Well, with man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. For several summers, I was a part of a group involved in religious reconciliation efforts in Northern Ireland between Catholics and Protestants. It was on these missions that I actually met Nancy, Hannah, and Jim Monroe. Now, what I was involved with, uh, you had to be involved with as a young man because it was totally dangerous, it was crazy, and at the same time, it was completely and profoundly life-changing. If you know anything about Catholics and Protestants in Northern Ireland, historically, you want to talk about two groups of people who were and, and still in some parts are bitter, bitter enemies. Clearly, they weren't listening to the Sermon on the Plain. And the more we scratch the surface, and this is true with every religious conflict in the world, it has very little to do with religion anymore, and it's all ethnic 
but nonetheless, they are enemies. One evening, this very teaching came up. I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And in that room, it got real quiet because there was a real sense of conviction. Everyone in that room had enemies. Everyone in that room had hatred. They had so much hatred in that room that all the ridiculous coexist stickers in the world couldn't fix it. And after a brief pause, this blue-collared Protestant man, he put out his cigarette and he walked up to the front of the room and he spoke to us all. And what he said was anything but, hey, gentlemen, try a little harder to love the Catholics. What he said was anything but, hey, everybody, try a little harder to bless those who curse you. Rather, this man got up and he spoke about death and resurrection. And he said to the group, he said, I have every right to hate Catholics, yet I can no longer hate them because after a bombing, I almost bled to death and laying in the street of Omaha, and if you know anything about Omaha, that was in 1998, one of the biggest bombings uh, enacted by the new IRA. But he was like, there I was laying in the street bleeding to death and the only one who matched my blood type and the only one in the midst of all of that panic who was willing to give his blood for me was a Catholic. I can never hate a Catholic because their blood now runs in me and they are me. These were the words of a man who spoke from experience of death and resurrection. And we are people who speak from a place of death and resurrection. As St. Paul writes in our epistle reading, what I am saying, brothers and sisters, is that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the perishable, imperishable, You see, this is my second point. Try harder to love your enemies. Try harder to bless those who curse you. That's perishable. It cannot fix anything, nor will it ultimately inherit eternal life. You see, for in God's eyes, the law, love cannot be cut apart into little pieces. It's all including your enemies, or it's nothing. But the good news is is that Jesus' body was broken, the embodiment of love in order to fulfill the law. And Jesus' words here are not to cause harm, but rather to call you and I from harm, which we both cause and suffer, and into something brand new, the resurrected life, this life of grace. Therefore, you and I need 
um, as Jody Watley sang so powerfully in her 1987 dance hit classic, I'm looking for a new love, a new love, baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. And let me tell you, that new love for you is Jesus Christ. He's the new thing God is doing. He came to do the law. He came to love perfectly for us. That new love is for you and for me, and it's the good news of the gospel. The gospel says Jesus is the one who loved us, his enemies, unto death. He blessed those who cursed him. He prayed for those who abused him. Jesus is the one who, when he was struck in the cheek, he turned the other side and didn't say a mumbling word. And Jesus is the one who clothes us who cannot love perfectly in the shirt of his righteousness and in the coat of his love, his grace, and his mercy. And God in Christ does all of this for us for two very specific reasons. The first, like that Protestant man now with Catholic blood coursing through his veins that changed his entire outlook, it is the gospel. Christ, he gives you something you don't have. Jesus' most precious blood. And that covering you now gives you Christ's holiness. It gives you his righteousness. It gives you his perfection under the law right now. For Christ takes the demand to love perfectly into his nail-marked hands and covered with his blood gives it to you as a fulfilled gift. That's the measure. And it's overflowing for you. Second, this gift, this gift of his blood forgives us totally. The gospel says Jesus has taken all of our resentments, all of our bitterness, and all of our failure to love our enemies, all of our failure to bless those who curse you, all of our failures to give to those who ask because I've got my ear pods in on the subway and I just can't be bothered. He takes that all to the foot of the cross and he says, this is covered in my blood and you're totally forgiven. And this is my third point. Because Christ is all of these things for you, he has forgiven you and we are free to reflect these things back to others. Notice what Jesus is saying in our text. He's not saying to do all these things and then you will be children of the Most High. Rather, covered in my blood, you are children of the Most High. And when touched by the Holy Spirit and by grace, we love our enemies. We become pictures of our merciful Father who is merciful and kind to the ungrateful. And that's ultimately the good news. The good news is not that you might start loving your enemies now. The good news is that we have a God who loves his enemies. 
So much so that he lays his life down for them and makes them his children. We have a God who in Jesus Christ is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. We have a God who is merciful to all. And that includes you and me. So as we take communion in a moment and that bread hits your hand and into your mouth, taste and see and know that the Lord is good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.